Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of Grow with Greg, where we always learn about growing your own food and a whole bunch of other fun stuff with our guests uh, from week to week, from month to month. Hopefully, there's information that we share on this podcast that is very helpful to you or someone that you may think um, our words and our stories and our topics could benefit. Uh, welcome again, and please remember to subscribe to our podcast on your favorite podcast platform. And again, share the episode, social media, so that you can help us get the word out. All right. I have a special guest, and this is a very, 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 very special guest. It's none other than our marketing director, Miss Rachel Grit. She's joining us today. Good morning, Rachel. Hey, Greg. Thanks for having me. It is a very overcast day, which is why the lighting is not fantastic, but we're going to make it work. Everything's fine. <laughs> there we go. There we go. Well, Rachel, she's joining me this morning on our podcast because we've got a really interesting topic and something that we want to dive into. Um, it's about recalls, recalls and food recalls, that is, and what they tell us. And Rachel, let's let's talk a little detail about why do we want to share this podcast and the information that you and I have been researching. Why is this important right now? Yeah, absolutely. So I mean, food call recalls, uh, food recalls are something that obviously we're all familiar with. It feels like you know every other time you go to Chipotle, they're like, "Sorry, we don't have romaine lettuce because it's been recalled." It's something that's very much a part of life, and we're very used to them. But at the end of the day, it does present a pretty stark reality of what our food supply chain is like, the control we as consumers have over our food. Um, and, you know, my background is actually in food science and nutrition. I went to school to be a dietitian and then pivoted into marketing because that captured my heart. So this is definitely uh, near and dear to my heart is something that that I know a lot about and I've really seen the impacts of. Um, so being able to kind of talk about this, why they happen and what it actually means is something that's really, really, really important. So I'm excited we're going to be talking about this today. Awesome. Awesome. So if you guys have been paying attention lately, or even if you haven't, there were three major food recalls in the past couple of weeks uh, that was just distributed on the wires out there. Uh, the first one was salmonella contaminated onions. The second was listeria contaminated collard greens. And the third was listeria contaminated enoki mushrooms. So we're going to be diving into the, the food recalls, um, what causes them to happen, and some of the things that impact the actual food that we consume uh, so you get a better basis and understanding of what's really happening and where do these recalls and where does the contamination come from. Does that sound mm -hmm. good, Rachel? Sounds like a plan. Yeah, that's a good reminder for anybody who's planning to use onions, mushrooms, or collard greens for their Thanksgiving meal this coming week to uh, definitely make sure that they check those codes and make sure they're not part of the recall. That's it. That's it. So where, where do you want to start here, Rachel? Yeah, so I mean, we can talk a little bit about just how big of an issue food recalls are and how they contribute to food waste. Obviously, food waste is a big part of our heart here at Produced. Uh, Produced for all. We want, we're trying to provide food to everyone that's that's safe to eat, that's going to be nutritious to them, that's going to fuel their bodies, their hearts, their minds, their passions, ultimately. Um, and food waste is a big part of that. I mean, food waste directly takes food out of the mouths of the people who need it. Uh, I think the stat is something like about 40% of the food 
that is produced here in the US at least ends up being wasted. And when you look at how many hungry people there are, that's a hole that can really easily be filled. It's not a lack of resources. It's a lack of things going to the right places being handled properly. Um, so do you want to share a little bit of the, the stats that we pulled on just how much food is being wasted by these food recalls? Absolutely. Absolutely. So just two months ago, ABC News, they reported over 477,000 477, pounds of food was recalled last year due to extraneous material. And in 2019, over 16 million pounds of food was recalled as a, as a result of 34 recalls that year. That's a lot of food. It's a lot of food. The amount of pounds, and not just recalls, think about what that means. 477,000 pounds of food is recalled. That means it can't be used. So that means it goes into food waste. And now we're talking about the impacts on landfills and how that negatively impacts our environment. It's, it's a cascading domino effect. And, and that's pretty big. It's awful. And I mean, we've talked a lot in our in our marketing materials, and I believe we've mentioned it on the podcast before, that food travels about 1,500 miles to get to you. So it's already traveled about 1,500 miles to get to you when then it has to travel back to the store and then be recalled and disposed of properly. That's even more miles that we're putting on our food, which takes even more of a toll on the environment. So it's just endless negative effects. That's exactly right. So yeah. you guys are probably asking and wondering, all right, so what what are the reasons for food call food recalls? How does that happen? So we did some more research. Foodsafety.gov gives three reasons for food recalls. The first one is the discovery of organisms, including bacteria such as salmonella or other parasites such as cyclospora. The second is discovery of foreign objects such as broken glass or metal. And the last one is discovery of major allergen that does not appear on the product label. So those are the reasons why the government considers or how it considers or classifies food recalls. Now, the reason for most produce that gets recalls is due, of course, to contamination. And one of the things we want to share with you guys, well, where that contamination comes from, how does it originate itself and how does it transfer into the food to that ultimately gets uh, recalled? Uh, this is just one of those factors that it, we can tend to have a view of out of sight, out of mind with our food. Uh, if you've ever seen a kitchen in a restaurant, if you've worked in food service, I used to work at Subway and I can no longer eat at Subway just because I have seen some things and it just is not something that really appeals to me anymore. So when we kind of pull back that curtain and see some of the unsavory things that are happening, I mean, ignorance is bliss sometimes. Uh, it can be nice to not have an idea of how the sausage is made, so to speak. But when we kind of take a look at why these things are happening, it can be pretty alarming. And it can kind of start to be this, this thing that kind of snowballs. Like, okay, how do we, how do we avoid this? Um, so we, we pulled together some of the things uh, that contribute to contamination and that are the reason for the contamination. Um, so most of these, we came down to, to three main things that are contributing to this contamination of the food, which is unclean handling and processing of the produce. So we don't know what's happening to the food on its way to you, who's picking it, what has been on their clothes, what they've been up to, all of the different 
pieces and parts to the journey, there are so many different points at which contamination can occur. So unclean handling and processing is one. We've got non-sanitized tools when harvesting. And this again goes back to, we don't know all of the things that happen. And even in the most buttoned up process, things can slip through the cracks. And that's how we end up getting these recalls. Uh, And then the third one, and this is a really, really big one, watering sources with bad bacteria. We've already talked a lot about how, you know, hydroponics and the the use of water is severely decreased from traditional farming methods. Well, the source of the water, regardless of what farming method you're using, is so, so important because that's getting into the plants, that's going on the leaves. It really is the essence of the plants. And so when you have a water source that's not clean to begin with, which is a whole other issue with all of the different um, issues with access to clean water around the world in these different communities that rely on farming to be a huge part of their income and their infrastructure and how they support themselves. It just is, again, another cascading issue. I mean, you know, that's exactly right. And a lot of these, the top three factors come from typically from farms. And, you know, we operate an indoor hydroponic farm here but the measures and steps that we put in place to make sure the tools are clean, the steps involved that are included in cleaning the tools, the water, the sanitation, the UV filters we've got set up. There's three different layers and process that we take to make sure the water, the contamination is minimized as much as possible, as close to 100% as we can. And other farms, I'm sure they have these same procedures in place as it's regulated by the state. A lot of times in reality, as you mentioned, Rachel, it doesn't happen always. And just for not washing your hands or wanting to get done with your work for the day and may not be using a, a tool that or harvesting tool that's been sanitized properly or clean or thinking that you can just wash it. Well, there's different measures of washing that you really Mm -hmm. have to make sure each and every time your tools, your hands, the water, it goes through this cycle and the process. And and that's one of the things we want to highlight and share with you folks, because if you think about it, it's not to scare you away from eating or eating out or restaurants or grocery stores, but it's to raise your level of awareness and consider what things can I control and what are some of the things that you can't control, Uh, Mm -hmm. which is a great segue, Rachel, into the the next area that we wanted to share. Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, the the three factors that we talked about, the the unclean handling and processing of the produce, the non-sanitized tools when harvesting, the watering sources with bad bacteria, Those are all things that we as consumers just have no control over. Of course, you could try to be conscious with your consumption, uh, you know, shopping local, um, shopping from your reputable sources. But for a lot of people specifically, that's cost prohibitive. It's not always the most cost effective thing or the logistics might be really difficult to go to your local farmer's market, to have conversations with the people who are growing your food. So the reality is for most people, even if they do have the resources to have fresh produce, These three factors, the ones that lead to contamination the most, 
we have zero control over. And that's a really, really scary thing. And even when you're looking at produce that is classified as organic, that meets the organic standards, there's so many different factors to the process beyond the farming practices that can contribute to the food being unsafe or having things on it that you wouldn't expect because you are expecting organic produce. So Greg, do you want to go through the the list that we put together of, of even organic produce, how that can be impacted during between the farming and the eating? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So some some of the uncontrollable factors, even as Rachel said, for organic produce, it includes what's in the air around the fields. There is no control over that whatsoever. What's on the containers the food is transported in? You know, is it solely a a food container? Uh, is it a climate control? Food container. What are what's been trapped in? How long has it traveled in those uh, transportation units? Um, what's on the containers the food is transported in? Um, what whether the trucks transporting the food has been cleaned themselves? You know these trucks are on the road. They're in different climates, different cities, different import and export facilities all the time, 365 days a year. And there should be processes in place that gets followed for cleaning the trucks. And you got to think about it. As much food that gets moved around in this country and food that gets placed on trucks, some of these things are going to be missed as what we hear and what we become aware of when it comes to the food recalls. A lot of these processes don't tightly get followed, and that's the reason for the contamination. Um, some of the other factors that are out of our control, whether people handling food have washed their hands, one that we've talked about earlier, the storage practices. There's three different places that food goes from the field or the crops in the farms. You know, it goes to a holding facility either at that farm or at a distribution facility. Well, it gets transported there. So there's got to be practices in place to make sure that the food is safe. And then from those distribution facilities, sometimes if it's import or export, the food goes to a holding facility just for export. How tightly regulated are those practices at those export facilities before it gets on a boat or on a plane? And then from there, it goes to a regional uh, distribution facility that stores produce for the region's grocery stores. And then from there, there's a couple more levels. Yeah, it goes to the warehouse at the grocery store. So think about all the many different places, not, not including the amount of time that produce is packaged, whether it's properly packaged or not. Think about the different places and locations that these foods are traveling before it gets to the grocery store. And then from there, it sits in the back of the grocery store because, again, due to time, grocery stores only put out the, the best-looking produce. So there could be contaminated produce that has been infected with produce that or infects produce that wasn't originally contaminated. But because of that, it we're painting the picture so you guys understand and see how easy food contamination can occur. Mm -hmm. And a lot of the cases, almost 90% of it 
or above 90%, there's no control over it. If mm-hmm. you're buying produce at the grocery store, these are the things that you possibly will have to contend with. And it's important for you to know what's really happening behind the scenes. Absolutely. And and those are just the factors, you know, that, that we can't control, even when you look at things like how food is stored. So I, until very recently, was a single mom out of a toddler. And I can't even tell you how many times I would come downstairs in the morning and realize that realize that I had left something out that needed to go in the fridge. You know, the grocery store, even if they do everything they're supposed to do, sometimes it just slips your mind to, to store your food properly yourself and to care for your food properly yourself. The, you know, the debates that go on about, you know, should you wash your chicken? Should you not wash your chicken? People may not understand that, you know, raw meat should be stored above produce. Like there's so many little things that can even go wrong in your home that when you have all of this unknown, uncontrollable stuff that could happen before it gets to the point where you could handle it or mishandle it, if you're like me, <laughs> Uh, there's just, there's so much that can go wrong. And ultimately this is what's going into our bodies. It's what's fueling our bodies. Um, something I did want to touch on when you were talking about, you know, how long the food travels, what it's like in the storage process, food, the nutrients that are in food degrades over time. And with, you know, if temperatures aren't accurate, if it's sitting for a long time. So the food that you're eating when it's not as fresh as it possibly could be, it's not doing as much for your body you're still getting a ton of benefits, a ton of nutrients, a ton of really, really great things for your body. But when it has had a chance to sit and degrade and all of that, it's, it's, we're losing nutrients. Um, and so that's just another thing that I wanted to touch on, uh, really quickly. But so one of the biggest offenders in these contaminations is listeria specifically. Um, so something I wanted to do with this uh, next portion is just sharing a little bit on the background. What is it? How can we avoid it? All of that. Um, so do you want to jump into that? Yeah. Yeah, let's talk about listeria. What is it? Listeria, it's a type of bacteria that can cause a serious illness called listeriosis. Listeriosis can cause fever, muscle aches, headache, stiff neck, confusion, loss of balance, and convulsions. It's also especially dangerous for pregnant women, newborns, older adults, and people with weakened immune systems. We've heard that in the news a lot lately about different things that can impact those groups of people. Mm -hmm. So how does listeria contribute to food recalls? Um, Listeria can contaminate a variety of foods, including raw meats, poultry, fish, dairy products, fruit, and vegetables. When listeria is found in food, the food is recalled to prevent people from getting sick, of course. But in 2022, there were over 100 food recalls in the United States due to listeria. These contaminations led to 90, close to 95,000 of food, 95,000 pounds of food that was being recalled. That's a lot, folks. Say, how many meals is that? I would. I wish they were, they were able to break it down further and say exactly how many meals worth of food yeah. is wasted just because of these recalls. Yeah, that's a lot. That is a lot. Um, we want to talk about the risks. What What are some additional risks there? Mm-hmm, absolutely. Yeah. So especially within these vulnerable groups, there are all of these different things that can happen as a result. I mean, we've all had an experience with food poisoning, but for some of us, you know, I, I just married a guy who has cancer and especially on these chemo weeks, we have to be really careful and make sure that everything's being prepared properly. And, and for a lot of people, especially these vulnerable groups, 
food poisoning is a lot more than just, I was laid up in bed all day and didn't feel super great. Um, A lot of these can be very, very serious, including miscarriage, stillbirth, or premature birth uh, for pregnant women, meningitis, and other serious infections in newborns. So for older adults and people with weakened immune systems, it can cause fever, muscle aches, headache, stiff neck, confusion, loss of balance, uh, convulsions, and in some really severe cases, it can even be fatal. So this isn't just a little case of food poisoning that we're talking about for a lot of people. It can be very, very serious and even lead to death. So it's not it's, it's something to take very, very seriously. You, you bring up a really good point that as you were saying that, it made me think about you know, you, you recently married, but you have to be extra sensitive to not only these things, but other things, you know, mm-hmm. because of your husband. And how many other families out there have that same reality in life where you've got to be overly cautious, overly sensitive to the foods you eat, your surroundings, your environment, and to protect yourselves as much as possible? That is a real thing. Absolutely. Uh, I just heard about, uh, I think it was applesauce pouches. There's a recall on applesauce pouches that just went out. Um, Fortunately, we didn't have any in the house, so my toddler was safe. Um, But in my experience in dietitian school, there were families I worked with where, especially when you have a picky eater, something like that can be you know, essential to your kids getting something in their bodies and something as small as, you know, someone up the food chain, not doing what they're supposed to, or something getting missed, a quality check being missed, that can end with something really, really severe. I worked with a number of families whose kids not only were, you know, picky eaters, they also had really severe health issues. So again, that comes back to something that might seem so small can be catastrophic and even tragic for a family. It's, it's absolutely insane. Yeah, yeah, that, that's important. And it's, you know, it, it, it makes you sober in terms of your thought process. If you're, if you're a family or a person that has to live life in this way, it's, um, it, it's something to really consider. And I'm sure mm-hmm. those folks, our listeners that either experience this or know other people that experience these type of lifestyles, they can share that, you know, it, it's a real thing that they have to be extra cautious every step of the way of their lives. Absolutely. Yeah. I worked specifically uh, with a dietitian who did, um, she focused on providing recipes to help uh, parents whose children were tube fed, blend their own food. So, you know, you're already uh, opening up you know, uh, all this, this can of worms with keeping your kitchen clean and sterile so that the food going into this medically sensitive, I think I'll say medically sensitive. Um, so I specifically worked with this dietitian who focused on providing recipes to help parents blend their own food for children who were on a feeding tube. Um, and so obviously you've already got all of these very, very intense considerations with, you know, keeping the kitchen clean and, and all of that and what food to use and getting their own healthcare providers on board with doing this there are all kinds of benefits to it. But then when you throw something like a food recall in the mix, these children who are already very, very sensitive and and need to be cared for in such a specific way because their parents are going this extra step uh, and and blending their own food to to provide their kids with some even more of a sense of normalcy and and nutrient density and all of that, that opens up yet another avenue for for anxiety and for all of these things that are that are really negative to happen. So it's it's so, so important to be to keep a really tight lid on that and, and the supply chain is a huge part of that for sure. Yeah. yeah. And again, folks, we're bringing this stuff up, not to scare you, not to make you fearful to, to not go out and eat or not eat food or all those other stuff. We're, we're not doing that 
for that reason. It's simply for awareness. We want you to be more educated. We want you to understand the possibilities out there. Um, so how common is like listeria or listeriosis? We've been talking about it a lot. Um, there's some studies out. In the United States, there's about 1,600 cases of listeriosis each year. And about 260 people from those cases die from listeriosis. So, again, that's a real number. Um, it may not seem like a lot, but imagine if you were one of those in that number. That's one too many. So if there's any ways that you can do or any things that you can do to protect yourself or just bring that awareness that we can help, that's what we're trying to do here. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Unfortunately, you know, like you were saying, it, it is a low number. Uh, those are, you know, 260 families who are impacted forever. Um, but fortunately, there are things that can be done to cut that number down. Um, so some of the ways that listeriosis can be avoided uh, or the risk can be mitigated. Uh, so cooking meat, poultry, and fish to a safe, safe internal temperature. I like to have a little chart that lives in one of my cabinets that has just like the a little cheat sheet with the different temperatures and like conversions from tablespoons to cups and all of that. So that's a really easy way um, to do that. Taking the temperature of meat is something I didn't do until I went to dietitian school. And there've been so many times where I've tempt my meat and I'm like, oh, I would have eaten this. And it's not even close. Wow. Um, yeah. Yeah. Guilty now because <laughs> she's, she's been really big on that lately about Greg, you got to put the probe in the meat. You got to make sure it's the right temperature. I, I get, I think the, the average is 150 or 160 degrees or something. Then you're safe. I don't know, but she's been really big on that now. Oh I'm yeah. Guilty because you mentioned that. <laughs> Yeah, it's uh, it's 165 for chicken. I think it's 145 for pork and about 145 for most fish. Obviously, some of those can be medium rare and that's like a whole other thing. Um, but yeah, so that's a really, really big one and one that is really easy. I think a, a meat thermometer is like $10. So just getting in that habit and learning how to do it properly is, is really, really important. Um, avoiding unpasteurized milk and cheese. That is a big debate, um, but <laughs> the official stance uh, is that it's best. It's just safest to avoid these things that are that are unpasteurized. I mean, that process is there to protect us. We can argue about ooh, uh, nutrient quality and all of that, but at the end of the day, if we're looking at at the safety of these, um, that is the official stance. Washing fruits and vegetables thoroughly before eating them. I am definitely guilty of you know finding a really great bunch of grapes in the grocery store and on the way home snacking on a few. I do that. I know. I know. I'm trying to get out of the habit. It's especially difficult with a toddler when he's like losing his mind and a couple grapes could help him uh, regain oh, control of good. his functions. <laughs> but there's, there's one, I'll just let me jump in for a second. There's one thing that you can actually do that may change your mind. That subway experience that you said by looking at the sausage, mm -hmm. you wash your fruit. Once you get home, try it as an exercise one time, wash your fruit, do it in a white bowl ah. and then look at that bowl two minutes later after you've taken the fruit out you it will change your life <laughs> i so i do i do do that most of the time uh i have a fruit wash that i use i'm trying to find one that i can make myself so maybe that's a an episode for a, for a future uh podcast on we can try a few and, and see which one works the best but yeah sometimes there are times i will admit there are times where i decide to I to risk it and uh, don't do that. That's not a good thing to do. Um, but yeah, washing, 
washing those fruits and vegetables. That is important. Uh, this is one that, that gets away from me as well. Uh, keeping your refrigerator clean and at a temperature of 40 degrees Fahrenheit or below. I think it can be difficult to remember. That's, that's one chore that we don't really think of unless there's a spill or something like that. But just taking the time to pull everything out of the fridge, wipe it all down, use an antibacterial spray or some vinegar or whatever floats your boat. Um, but that's, that's one that, that needs to make it into the regular rotation. Uh, and then throwing away food that has been in the fridge for more than two weeks. Labeling, regular observation, and regular purging. <laughs> It's, it's just difficult to, to remember unless there is something that really needs to be cleaned up. But that's a good reminder to, you know, every couple weeks or once a month or even once a quarter, just taking everything out, wiping everything down with antibacterial something. Um, it takes, you know, 20, 30 minutes, but it's, it's, it's a way that, that you can just keep things from being an ongoing problem. Um, so, Greg, do you want to share a little bit about uh, some of the other bacteria that are uh, responsible for causing these illnesses and recalls? Yeah, yeah. So we talked about listeria and the listeriosis behind it. Uh, salmonella, that's another common one. Mm -hmm. I'm sure we've all heard of that. Uh, some of the causes, well, let's talk about some of the symptoms first from salmonella uh, bacteria. Diarrhea, fever, abdominal cramps, nausea, vomiting, headaches, and muscle aches. Any of us that have ever experienced food poisoning we know those symptoms quite well. Absolutely. And the treatment behind them, most people, there's not a whole bunch you can do un unless you just let it wear off. Most people recover from seminolosis without treatment, but some people may need to be hospital. So how to prevent salmonella? You want to cook your meat, poultry, or fish to a safe internal temperature. We just talked about that. Avoid unpasteurized milk and cheese, wash fruits and vegetables thoroughly before eating them. All of the same things that the prevention methods that we just had talked about with uh, listeria and listeriosis, you want to do the exact same thing with salmonella. Mm -hmm. um, salmonella is a little bit more common than listeria and listeriosis. So how does it contribute to food recalls? Where is salmonella? How does it get there? So salmonella, salmonellosis, that's a tongue twister. Salmonellosis, that is very common. We've heard it, we hear it a lot, unfortunately, but how common is it in the United States? There are an estimated 1.35 million cases of salmonellosis reported each and every year. That's a huge number. That is a lot. Yeah, I, uh, I still remember in my freshman year biology class in high school, we when we were learning about the different bacteria and we got to salmonella, I remember this very cheesily acted skit that we watched of this guy who got chicken from this place called Ben's Hens and then ended up with salmonella. And like you followed the process of him like starting to feel sick and then what he had to do to feel better and then how that happened and all of that. So anytime I hear about salmonella, that's exactly what I think of. I'm like taken back to freshman year uh, of high school. Yeah, yeah. It's much more common and you hear about people experiencing food poison and that's probably the more common one that mm -hmm. we get. And it's, it's real. Again, it's real. It's out there and it's in a lot of cases, like we talked about, it can't be prevented. There's not a lot of control if you're going certain methods in terms of how you source your food. Um, so just be careful out there, folks. There's a lot of ways that you can really uh, put some measures in place to be as safe and clean as possible. 
um, so as far as, you know, what part of the process salmonella comes in at, it really can be any part of the process. Like Greg was saying, from the inception of the plants, their growth, their handling, their processing, even when we get them to our homes, it really can happen uh, at any point. And it also can survive on surfaces for a pretty long time. And we all think back to COVID days, where we're sanitizing everything, wiping everything down. Obviously, we compare that back quite a bit, but it is really important to be sanitizing things regularly so that, you know, if there's a case where something contaminated with salmonella comes through, it's not then continuing to contaminate other things. Um, so just cleaning and disinfecting is so, so important. Um, and it also can be spread through contact with infected animals, uh, and their elimination. (laughs) Um, so, you know, obviously we're not all running around on farms all day, um, but that does happen through parts of the process. Animals come into contact with all kinds of things. And even throughout the transport process, there's animals. Um, so it's, it's yet another way that, that that can be spread. Oh, yeah. Oh, absolutely. Matter, as a matter of fact, you made me think about when you said COVID and the different things we were doing to stay safe. There's practical things that we can do that we can take from that our experience through COVID in the cleaning down and the disinfecting of the surfaces. Some as small as that, you know, introducing just that into your daily routine. You never know how that can prevent you or your loved ones or someone from getting sick or ill. Uh, just by wiping down your surfaces and washing your hands frequently. That, that's a big one, I'd say. My family and I, we, because of COVID, it's now our daily routine. Everything gets wiped down. Um, our hand washing is, has increased so much more. And that, I'm almost embarrassed to say that that should have been a practice that we had prior to COVID. But we didn't, honestly. But now we do. So continuing to do things like that can really help out. Absolutely. And I think it's important too. I mean, just doing a regular check to see what is being recalled. You know, sometimes these are very public and we see them on the news. And so we know to check our produce, but even just once a month or once a week, doing a quick Google search for what are the current recalls right now uh, can help keep a lid on these things. Not all of them are going to be on the news. So it is important to just do a search, see what the current ones are. If there's anything that might be in your house that has been recalled. Um, So that is a big, big way. Uh, to kind of mitigate the risks of these recalls. You know, it's, it's not the situation where the sky is falling and, and everything's terrible. We do have these happening more and more frequently, but there is something that we can do about it. While we don't have control over the supply chain, we can have control over, you know, how, how we're processing the information that could help us make those decisions on whether what we've brought into our homes should be consumed. That's it. That's exactly it. And that's part of our job. That's why we have these podcasts. That's why we have these discussions. <laughs> That's why we're in the business that we're in to bring awareness. You know, we do operate a hydroponic farm. We do have plants. We do have a hydroponic garden uh, for customers and different things. But our website, it's a plethora of information. If you want to do a deep dive into topics like these, you want to learn more about other things of how we mitigate problems from having, how we can help educate you just in your daily lives, how to control your food source. How do I start? Where do I start? We are that resource and we want to help people become more educated to where it truly is a lifestyle change. That's what we're all about here. 
Absolutely. Absolutely. And so we're really passionate about providing a way to have total control over at least a portion of the food that you consume. So, you know, completely controlling the process yourself is really the only way to know exactly what's happening with your food, what quality of seeds you're using, how the plants are handled as they grow, the processing once they're ready to be picked and then cooked. Truly the only way to have total control is growing your own food, but that's not super accessible for everyone. So what we're trying to do, what we're really passionate about is making that process a lot more accessible and easier and more affordable for everyone. Um, so hydroponics is a really, really great way to take control over a portion even of your food and the food that's coming into the, your home and the food that you're putting into your body. Um, so we're really passionate about that. Um, so we hope that you'll uh, stick around with us and, and continue to learn and maybe even give hydroponic gardening a try. Awesome. Awesome. That's good stuff, Rachel. Very Absolutely. Good so as we round out this conversation here, question for you, uh, what have you done, read, eaten, or experienced lately that's had the biggest positive impact on your life? You know, the one that comes to top of mind is something that I made a practice some years ago, and it's, it's proven to be a life changer for me. Every morning, I wake up not just refreshed, but mentally refreshed trying to renew my mind in every aspect as if today is the first day of my life. Mm. A lot of times we carry baggage, we carry weight from the previous day, and and it's hard. Don't get me wrong. It's something that takes practice, but it becomes that weight. It becomes that baggage. It becomes something that can ultimately control your life if you allow it. So Mm. um, one of the things that has had an that's one of the things that's had a positive impact on my life by changing and making this practice to wake up brand new person, a brand new thought process every single day, not allowing anything from the past or the previous day, weeks, months, whatever, continue to, to be a part of my life. And it allows you to control more about your direction. It allows you to control more about how you're going to think and operate that day. And it's truly mm-hmm. powerful. So that's something that I can certainly share um, that I've done recently, if you want to say recently within the past year and a half, um, that's been a, an impactful move for me, a lifestyle change. Oh, that's awesome. Did you read that in a book somewhere or how did you come across that concept? Well, it, it's a biblical principle, but it's one that, you really got to make it practical in terms of your life. You know, I, I, you know, I read the Bible. I read a lot of different passages and other uh, books and things. And a lot of books, believe it or not, they take a lot of this information from other um, places that have previously said it, but make it more practical and applicable to where people can understand. So that's been the basis of how I came to the knowledge of it. And I was like, hey, how do I... How do I truly make sense of this? Hmm. Yeah, I love that. Um, So for me, I am doing a study right now with a group of friends. I think it's the uh, gratitude study by Lifeway. Um, It's the study on gratitude as we're leading up to Thanksgiving. And so I meet with some friends every single week and we go through the study together. And it's been such a great reminder. I mean, obviously we think of, okay, Thanksgiving, we're going to give thanks. We're going to be grateful for things, but really breaking that down and being intentional every single day. Well, I don't do it every single day. I'm I'm working on that. (laughs) 
Um, but trying to every single day really get into this workbook and, and do the reading and process the journal questions. Uh, it's really helping to get my heart and my mind ready, you know, for Thanksgiving and, and reminding me of all of the things to be truly grateful for. You know, we, we kind of can make it this kind of fluffy surface thing of like, oh, I'm thankful for this. Oh, I'm thankful for this. But when you really take a look at what is deep gratitude, what are we truly grateful for? You know, even when things are, are really, really tough, what is, you know, being truly deeply grateful for something? It's kind of like the concept of joy versus happiness, right? Like happiness can be this like kind of fluffy fleeting concept. Whereas when you have deep joy, when you have joy residing in your heart, that kind of springs up and just like infiltrates every part of your being, that's a very different process than temporarily being happy. So being truly, truly grateful and and focusing on the deep work of gratitude, that can be really transformative. And that's what I'm experiencing right now. So. Oh man, that's that sounds pretty exciting. I like it. Yeah, it's great. Awesome. Well, folks, Rachel and I, we really appreciate you tuning in, and we hope that something was shared today that you can really ponder on a little bit more, can take some nuggets from this to uh, apply it to your daily life, uh, and put it in your lives or your family's lives, and share share their information with friends and family. Others, like we always say, this isn't about us. This isn't about us selling a product all the time or talking about produce and what we do here. This is about our community and the, the mission and all of the things that we're trying to do to grow uh, a, a community. But yeah, that's, that's exactly why we're here. That's exactly why we do this podcast. And it comes from a special place in our hearts. So we want you to share. We want you to subscribe to our podcast, share with others. And let's continue to spread good news and good word and continue to move forward in our lives together. Absolutely. Thanks for having me, Greg. I appreciate it. All right. Stay tuned, folks. We'll talk to you soon.